0: for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meet pod. Bye. Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner Podcast where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll! (laughs) What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbow, and this episode is celebrating my favorite Roadrunner release of 2021, Panty Christ by Dana Dentata. This is my favorite to the surprise of, uh, no one. I correctly think Dana Dentata is the coolest, and not just because we both have alliteration pseudonyms, but, now that you mention it, if she and I started a band it would be called R2-D2. You may remember in the second episode of this show, there was a band on Roadrunner called Die Monster Die, fronted by Alice Cohen, and they originally wanted to title their album Vagina Dentata, but RR said, no way, you can't put the word Dentata on a CD. And now they have an artist with the word in her name. How progressive. Anyway, Dana tells us about the making of her debut album, Panty Christ, working with a gang of all-stars like King Woman, 100 Gex, Lil' Aaron, and Travis Barker, opening for the Insane Clown Posse, and also shots fired at Roman Reigns. Yeah, I
1: I well, you,
0: you as far as me knowing who dana dentata is i know of course you had the band dentata and you become dana dentata from that but my first exposure to dana dentata was a few years ago there was a a rapper producer by the name of kanye west you familiar with this gentleman
1: i think i've heard of him before
0: all right so he um he he designs a lot of sneakers but at this time he was trying this music thing out and he puts out a song called all day that features two people I've never heard of, Alan Kingdom and Theophilus London. Yes. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I need to keep an eye out on these guys because usually whoever Kanye is associating with then becomes like a thing that I need to be aware of, whether I like it or not, it becomes a an entity. So Theophilus mm-hmm. London puts out this mixtape and you, Dana Dentata, are essentially on like every other song, maybe every song and credit wow, on it.
1: Wow, you know about that.
0: So I was like, OK, I'm going to now I'm I'm adding my my tree of things I need to pay attention to. Right. So that's how I know who Dana Dentata is. But then, you know, uh, I start hearing Dana Dentata songs versus Theophilus London featuring Dana Dentata songs, Ace of Base covers and such. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, a much more like gritty kind of aggressive rap versus you're kind of doing like sung hooks on his songs, more or less, I would say so. How did uh How did you go from doing one to the other? Or were you already working on this kind of music and you happened to just collaborate with him at the time?
1: Yeah, I had just moved to LA from Toronto um, in 2018 in the summer. And I had a fucking new lease on life out of a three-year abusive relationship and where I wasn't really doing music. And I was like, okay, I'm going fucking hard. I'm going to do this shit like full speed, hundred percent every day. I'm going to put my all into this. And so like, I got to LA and I just started making, I knew what I wanted to sound like. And it took so many years to try to get other producers and shit to understand. And they just never did. And I couldn't do it. So I found all these sick free beats on YouTube. Like I combed through thousands and then I picked a couple and then I made some songs on my garage band with my USB mic. And I was just, like, rapidly making songs, like, a bunch of songs, whatever, and I, I had, I'd only had out Trust No Dick, I think, at that point, and I was with a couple of friends, and we went to this uh, sex club, like, industrial goth party thing, and there was a bunch of us, and Theo was one of the people, and... We met and we were all hanging out that night. And then I was like, oh, I just made this uh, song like two days ago or whatever. It was that Dumb Not Deaf song. I know they heard me. Cause you're dumb not deaf. I know they heard me. And I played it for him and he got super hyped. He's like just a whole enigma in himself. Like he's this wild energy and yeah he loved it so much he became like obsessed with it and then became really supportive of everything I was trying to do and it was really awesome like he um yeah I would come to the studio with him every day that's why I'm on like every song because it was just like oh do this do go on this whatever and I was just like down for whatever at the point so I'm like sure like uh collaborate in any way and then we were going out to all these parties. We ended up going to Kylie Jenner's 21st birthday. And that's where uh, he introduced me to Kanye for the first time. And he was just like, he was just telling everybody like Kid Cudi, like all these people, like she's up next. Like she's the shit. She's the star, like all this stuff, you know? And it's like, That was really nice of him to do that because people don't really do that in this industry. And he was just like full force, like just like really fucked with the music and what I was doing and my performances and believed in me and was just telling everybody. And then we ended up going to this other party, running into Kanye again and recording all the time and hanging out with all these people. And it was a very special, iconic time, I think.
0: Oh, wow. So then did you ever collaborate with Kanye directly?
1: Well, I did uh, have a whole, like, I know him as well. I've traveled with him across the world and performed with him and had some experiences there, learned a lot from him as well.
0: So would you say that Panty Christ, kind of fast forwarding a little bit more, is more so the sound you were striving to get towards, or that's just a different aspect of things that you like doing?
1: Yeah. Antichrist is like what I wanted completely, exactly what I wanted.
0: And how did you become on Roadrunner's label being, you know, of course you're an anomaly on the label historically, but also even now, you know, being a, a female, not a maybe any other just straight up female front and, you know, code orange, of course, has Reba. So no disrespect there, but um, you're, you have a very hip hop aspect to it. So roadrunner, not really traditionally in that realm either. So how did that become the relationship that you formed?
1: Yeah. They've never had a solo female artist. So like, I don't want to say I'm the only woman on the label because obviously there's been a lot of women, but I made them fact check that I was the only female artist to sign a album deal. But um, I guess because I used to be in a punk band in Toronto and, you know, in the band scene there, like I um, know people from hardcore, like Ben Cook from No Warning. Like he, um, he has, I think, a relationship with people that were at Roadrunner at the time. And he's been seeing my band play since I was like 18 and always my friend and supportive. And I think like they knew that I came from a rock band and was doing this and like was interested, Roadrunner was interested in that. And I think, yeah, having someone who raps and stuff, kind of like switching it up and not just being traditional and something different and a powerful woman. And yeah, I met with all the other labels and I don't know. It just kind of seemed the same. Like, it's just like, I don't know. Like as far as genre, I just thought it was really more appealing to me. The fact that it's so masculine, it's like bro culture, metal is so misogynist. And I just noticed that that was an opportunity for me to fill an empty space there of like feminine energy and counteracting like sexual assault openly and stuff like that like I think I'm more needed in those type of spaces than I am next to like Billie Eilish or something you know like I just thought that would make more of an impact because it's changing like it's breaking a pattern kind of
0: yeah you're filling a void that's there versus um continuing a tradition (laughs) maybe at another label or with another artist
1: yeah, and I knew they weren't going to try to change me either. I knew they were going to let me be dark. I was hoping they were going to let me say all the things I say on my album and I was very surprised that they did and and I I didn't think like anybody else would back me.
0: The album is called Panty Christ. You have this uh, you know, very like giving birth matriarchal um layouts and everything. The intro yep. is even called birth and you can, I guess it's kind of playing on the actual Christ who is killed and then reborn via heavenly intervention. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about like kind of what the, the art conception was?
1: We'll be back after a quick break.
0: If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co-host, Francesca
1: Folonazzo, and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt-country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and
0: recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at
1: RootsMusicRambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler. Yeah, it's based off my life. Making this album, I knew from the beginning before any song was written, and I told Roadrunner like a year before the album came out, like, it's going to become Pantichrist. I just know that that's what it's going to be. And to me, what Pantichrist meant, I like, I feel like I manifested a lot of darkness and shitty people by having demons and all this like dark stuff in my art. And so I wanted to manifest, um, my rebirth and healing for myself and light and good people around me and health and everything. And I felt like that's what I was going for. And I was like, trying to, I was going to a lot of therapy, deep in therapy for the first time in my life and really trying to like face myself and work on my trauma and like let out all these things buried inside me. And I ended up like having, I call it a spiritual awakening, mental breakdown. Like I couldn't eat or sleep or drink water or anything for, it was like seven days. Like maybe I had some sips of water, but I was vibrating inside so much that I felt like I couldn't put anything inside. Like it was like, I was just, I think I was like astral projecting now that I look back, but I was vibrating inside. I couldn't talk to anybody. I went fucking crazy. And then I had this crazy spiritual experience where I saw this, uh, spirit that's passed away. Like this ghost, I physically saw it. And then I left my body and I was like watching the earth. Like it was like Google street view. Like I zoomed into like the house I grew up in. And then I saw like my life on fast forward. It was like a movie and it was, and the spirits were like explaining all the bad things that happened to me and like my whole life and why everything is the way that it is. And I came out of it and I was just, I just thanked them. It was like the most important thing that, has ever happened to me in my entire life. It was the best thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life because immediately after I like snapped out of it and I could see colors more clearly. like everything was so clear. I could taste better like my senses and like I started piecing together so many things that didn't make sense in my life like and then all and I didn't know I didn't know like what happened to me when I was 15, 16, 17 because it was like dissociation and all that. And there's this disorder where you you depersonalize your experience from yourself. So like my whole life, it was like, that wasn't me. That was this girl in this movie. And so like, I could never kind of like accept and deal with what happened to me because I never, like I dissociated from it so bad. So finally, like it's all there and it's all hitting. And I'm like, fucking scientist putting this shit together. Like, just like, holy shit, what the fuck happened to me? Even like, you know, modeling as a young teenage girl and there was all this weird stuff that never made sense. Like I got signed to this agency in Florida when I was 15 and I went to Ecuador Quito for this modeling competition. And like all, there was something not right about the whole thing. Anyway, like I was able to piece together. That was Jeffrey Epstein's modeling agency. And I was with Jeffrey Epstein's Uh, best friend Jean-Luc Brunel who's like was his like curator for getting girls and like they had I went to this modeling competition in Ecuador my dad came like Jeffrey Epstein's best friend is like having dinner with my dad getting the scoop like oh this girl's mom just died like her family's not really involved she's like you know they don't have money the dad like whatever so I was like the perfect candidate for this And then, like, I ended up quitting modeling and, like, for, like, two years, like, getting out of it, whatever. I somehow, like, never ended up going to Florida by myself. And now, and I was, like, oh, my God, I saved my fucking life. Like, holy shit. I I didn't even know that there was an attachment to all this. Like, all these things in my life just started fucking making sense. And I was so clear. And, like, I know the experiences that happened to me, like. I understand the weight of them now like some pretty pretty extreme morbid horrible things have happened to me as a teenager and I always thought I was just really strong and like tough but really I was I completely left my body when I was like 16 and I never went back and I went back in my body like a year ago for the first time and I've been in it ever since and so all the songs on the album are like it's, it's that whole experience and that whole process of, like, not knowing who the fuck I am and wanting to heal and, like, some shit that maybe people would never want to say in their lives. Like, I want to say it with no shame and let it out and let it. And I want other people to know that they can do this, too, and not have shame and, like, yeah, it's just a whole life-changing experience that was the most intense thing I've ever gone through and the best thing I've ever gone through. And I think the songs are kind of like the soundtrack of it.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds deep and extreme, but I definitely can understand when you're saying that, you know, a lot of these songs, like you said, are pretty, pretty bluntly stating experiences in your life that uh, maybe to someone might sound like a metaphor, but it sounds like to you, from what you're saying, they're like, no, this is I had to go through these experiences so that's uh and that was something that I was going to ask you also you know performing songs like these live you know kind of remembering these situations if there's if there's a uh, difficulty in doing that but it sounds like you're even making this album and having these songs exist is freeing you from what those experiences had done to you for all these years is that kind of what you're saying
1: Yeah yeah it's letting it out of me it's pushing that energy out and I think performing it is just pushing it out and and, uh, moving that energy on an even greater scale. So um, it was interesting because I haven't played shows for so long. And then I went to London and I played Reading and Leeds Festival and I'm playing like all these songs live for the first time. And I really wanted to, now that I'm like, I used to always look at the crowd as like my enemy. Like I fucking hate all of you. I'm gonna fuck up all of you. Like fuck all of you. (laughs) And now I'm like, I want to be one with these people. Like I want to share this experience and I don't want to be like angry and acting out of anger. I want to openly project this energy with these people and, and feel this power and like be vulnerable and not angry because like it doesn't feel good the hour after you know being angry it's like i don't want to feel anger i want to feel joy the hardest song for me to play was do you like me now i was like actually crying while i was playing i couldn't like stop and i was like why is this song like the most like emotional for me and i think it's like because i'm like genuinely asking people like do you like me now (laughs)
0: Yeah. Do You Like Me Now is a a song I was going to ask you about because it's not on Panty Christ, but of course you release it after you get uh, signed to Roadrunner. So did you just not feel like it fit the the motif of the theme of the rest of the album or you wanted it to be its own thing? I mean, you're still playing it live, like you said, so it's definitely something that you still think is sick.
1: Yeah, I love that song. I just, it's so much time had passed from when I put it out to when the album came out and I just wanted to keep Antichrist, kind of in the time period that changed my life. And I think when I was, when I made that song, I was still, there's this thing that my friend says where it's like, it's about like being reactive. You're, you're reactive. Like the way that when you respond to people in a way that's out of like anger where like you're reacting, it's, you're still kind of like at that person's mercy because they've still got you. So like, you have to completely set yourself free from being reactive. And we talk about how like, do you like me now? Is extremely reactive. So like, I kind of feel like I evolved a bit.
0: Yeah. That makes sense that you're, I mean, you're even asking, do you like me now you're, you're directing it to this person of uh of angst but at the same time going back to what you said as far as being one with the crowd you know a song like that and especially the song panty christ i feel i can also be like a unifying you know triumphant anthem like you're you know you're with these people you're like oh do you like me now like panty christ you know coming
1: all those people that are hearing that relate and have been through shit too so they're not, you know, they're not the enemy to me in any way. for it
0: together. And just the end of the Don't You Ever Doubt Me. I mean, anybody can relate to that. Like, And it's so hard. And, I mean, I know it's just like bass and drums, but I just always hear it as like like a metalcore breakdown. Like, I just really want to okay. fight a parked car when I hear it. And win. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Both Panty Christ and Apology are produced by... Um, Dylan Brady, Hundred gex Yes. and Hundred gex is super sick. One of my favorite Christmas songs, Sympathy for the Grinch. I don't know if you're familiar. Check it out. How did you collaborate with Dylan? Was it uh, in person or you know through through digital exchange, or how did that go down?
1: The first session was set up by my aunt I had at the time, this guy, Ricky Singh. He used to be in a band called Backtrack.
0: L-I-H-C
1: representative. Yes. um, And so he wanted us to work together. So he set up, it was like right before the pandemic hit. Um, We did a session in studio and we just did the instrumental. Like I explained to him exactly what I envisioned. Like, I'm like, okay, I died. Like I went to fucking hell. I burned up. They killed me. Like I'm fucking dead. I'm buried under the dirt. Like, uh, it's like that scene in Carrie at the very end where they like go to the grave and then like the hand sticks up. And I was like, it's like, my hand is going to stick up out of the dirt and I'm going to fucking crawl back to life. I'm like, I'm going to become superhero version of myself, like invincible. You can't kill me. And then he's like such a quiet dude he just was like okay and then like turned around and then just like made that whole instrumental exactly how it was and then me and Ricky were like fuck like this is this is it this is panty like it like sounds like it and then it took me months to get to the point where I could like write those lyrics like I wrote them like many months later um because it was just like it just kind of was there and set the tone and it was felt like big shoes to fill. Like it's such like a big instrumental. So I really wanted to do it. I think I executed it well.
0: Yeah. When I like want to show somebody your music, that's definitely the first song I go for. I feel like that's like a universal crowd pleaser. And I know you like open your shows with it now too. So you must think that it's like the one that grabs you.
1: Yes. And then apology pandemic, hardcore can't see anybody not leaving the house I'm already starting to go crazy at this point like I'm like manic and talking very fast and like it's all the trauma was like slowly pushing out so it's like about right here and then I had this thought I'm just like Alanis Morissette you ought to know 2021 I need that fucking version right now like or it was like 2020 I guess at the time but I was like Alanis Morissette 2020 you ought to know that's what I want And like, I was FaceTime, we FaceTime and I'm just like, hi, I need Alanis Morissette 2020. You ought to know, I need it. Like, it has to be the 2020 Alanis Morissette. I don't know that's all I want. Like, I just need that. And he's like, okay, (laughs) makes the fucking instrumental, sends it to me in like five minutes. And then I like was, I really fucking went crazy writing that song like shaking like so many. it's about like facing yourself in the mirror like that's when I was really ready to face myself like once you beat yourself then all the other shit and all the people around you like can't fuck with you because you've owned yourself and so I knew I had to do that and I was like, breaking my brain open like looking in the mirror screaming at myself in the mirror like The lyrics, like, you know? I'm sick of being sad! Like, I was like going fucking crazy. So, that song was a fucking emotional, intense one that I wrote alone.
0: Well, that one's a hit. I mean, that one should be top of the chart. You got the sick, sick sung hook and, uh, you know, it still has the aggression and everything. Like you said, you know, it kind of ends with the, the screaming, but it's mixed in a way that it's not like Um, I've never
1: heard a pop song where like the last chorus was like screaming too. So
0: that's what I'm saying, but it maintains the integrity of being a pop song. And I hope you don't take that the wrong way. I mean, I feel like it's still just as catchy and if anything, it enhances it. Like you said, it sets it apart. Like, oh, she's screaming. Like I can, you know, even like, uh, kind of near the end, uh, the last couple of runs of like someone like Rihanna, you know, with like a bitch better have my money or whatever. She's like getting close to that, that aggression. Yeah. So it's really 2020 yeah. Rihanna bitch better have my money more than Alanis smart said, okay. unless this is about one of the uncles from full house, in which case I, okay.
1: <laughs> I also love that. Like, um, Brittany, my childhood idol, like I feel like the lyrics were so well, for like what she's gone through when the song was coming out too, of like, she needs an apology from a lot of people, you know, And she's facing her truth and speaking her truth now. And it's amazing to see. I just love how it aligned with that song.
0: Um, The song Church Hooker, the beat on that kind of sounds like it could be like a Slipknot sample or something like that. Is Is that something you were going for? Or is it straight up eyeless off of the first Slipknot album?
1: No, um, I did that song with fishnark and beyonds and the only music that I heard from them was like goth boy emo stuff like you know, little keep stuff and like soft stuff I didn't I was not expecting them to, to like go that hard. And so I I was just like open to any experience at that point, creating with anybody. And they seemed like genuine people who cared about like what I've been through and what I'm trying to say with my music. Like that means so much to me. Like I sat with them for like an hour or two, just talking about my intentions. And then it was like, okay, let's go in. And then they just went in with that. And yeah, it was like heavy and, I was not expecting that from them, and I was stoked
0: on it. Yeah, that's uh the second hardest part of the whole album is like when it uh, kind of cuts out and comes back. You know, your voice even fades out.
1: Stop me, I'm trying to find me. You hate me for a motherfucking reason, cause I'm still fucking.
0: Cause I'm still fucking breathing. You're mad that I'm. You know what? I'm glad you said. On my birthday every year, I always say that I'm only having a birthday to spite those who wish I was dead. Yes. Uh, Spit features the drummer from the Aquabats, Travis Barker. <laughs> the yeah, drummer
1: the, from everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he's the yeah, he's in everything now. But of course, we all know him most from uh, dressing up as a Saturday morning cartoon character in the Aquabats. And then he played briefly in a band called Blink One Eighty Two. And now he's just doing whatever he wants. He's he, he's got his own DTA records. He's with Avril again. I mean, he can't be stopped. But this song doesn't sound like any of that stuff that he's been doing the last couple of years. So was that uh, something you also were kind of going out of your way to make sure like, Hey, I don't want like the Travis Barker song. I want to really collaborate with you on this.
1: Yeah. I guess I was more inclined to like make it as hard as it was because I did think like everything else that I heard that he was doing, like I thought it would be cool to go very hard with a female and do like a fucking hardcore female song. Um, Cause you know, otherwise it's contrasting a lot of the other stuff that he's doing with people. Um, and yeah, he's a producer. He makes beats too, like a lot of beats and awesome beats. And so like we went through them and I picked one that I liked and then we just built from there and there was also this guy, Nick Long, who writes with him for a lot of stuff, Dark Waves. Um, and he wrote the guitar and, and I came up with the lyrics in that session. Yeah, we did it all in one session. It was awesome. I don't know. Sometimes it just like works really well with people and you just get a flow and it just like shits out. And, and there isn't like a whole lot of thought going into it. That's fun, too yeah it's
0: sick because it feels really raw also you know like it doesn't seem like an overproduced song or anything like that you're screaming pretty much the whole time and uh the <laughs> the drums sound super uh, like industrial i mean i know that he's of course a drummer and i'm sure there's some real drums in there too but there's a lot of like super industrial program sounding drums in it so it feels very pummeling and, and precise
1: yeah he produced that thing and then at the the very end the very fast part at the end, like he got in the booth and drummed that part live.
0: And was that sick to just be like Travis Barker's doing the drums right now live?
1: Yeah, it was fucking awesome. I love that. It was like, this is so sick. Love that he did live drums on it. Yeah, he was into that. I, I think we definitely want to make some more songs too. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You yeah. feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only
0: takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. You I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you know I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. you already? Yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, oh, I'm, trying yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. yeah. Damn, need, y'all need y'all we all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We gonna have this like, bro, Me and my man, like me and my man, Kyle. We be like, I don't know. We play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right play right. with I lie, we play with this shit right now for, for oh, a Don't, don't, lie. Play, with don't it, play with it. it nah. Take that shit. Soon.
0: The song "I Know What You Did Last Summer." First of all, do you remember in the movie "I Know What You Did Last Summer," Ryan Felipe is hanging out of the. At the sunroof or whatever and some songs on the radio and he's like turn this crap off we need to put some like heavy stuff on and then he puts on the mighty mighty boss tones and he's like yeah this is rock and roll
1: fuck i should have sampled that for the beginning
0: there's still time we'll do the deluxe re-release with the lyric sheet and then we'll have
1: yeah there may potentially be a re-release
0: Well, yeah, so that's what I remember most from that movie is Ryan Felipe, who got married in my hometown to Reese Witherspoon. I think they're divorced now. And Ryan's in general, always top tier. But I just remember that that's how that movie starts, where he's like, whatever this is sucks. And he puts on the boss tones and it's just acting like it's Metallica. He's so psyched.
1: (laughs) That's so funny.
0: So is this song about uh, someone who ran some uh, fishermen over?
1: yeah. Shitty person.
0: You're not Shitty tall party. enough for Hummers, is a line in the song.
1: <laughs> That's my favorite line. <laughs> so sick. It's like, I guess the most like petty, simple shit you can do sometimes is just like pick on somebody's height, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> like you're not tall enough to get into a Hummer vehicle, like an H2.
1: Yeah. Like, and then like when you're in the Hummer, you look like a little chump. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Incredible. Um this is also uh produced by or helped written by King Woman, as well as uh Like a Prayer, spelled yeah suspiciously. And Prayers. uh yeah. a
1: bit praying.
0: Yes, they're <laughs> they are they pray on their they are a parade to tour. Uh, so how was working with Christina that she's, you know, kind of more known for like being metal, which is interesting because you're going into this more metal realm, but the stuff that she does is not necessarily the most, uh, metal aspects of it. So that must have been cool. I
1: think she is, um, connected to some very dark spiritual energy. Like, and I think that was really important for me to have on the song like a prayer because that song I wanted to make a song that for when I do the pain Christ shows and tour like that song I want everybody who comes to my shows who's been abused I want them to chant that with me so that we can like get all that energy in one room and like I want that to be a big physical release for people at my show. Something that they can participate in and like think about all that energy and all that power in a room like wishing death on your abuser. I think that is something I want to see happen. Yeah, I think there's a lot of dark magic in that song.
0: Yeah, it's tough. Death at your door.
1: Yeah. Death on his door.
0: On his door, I'm sorry. Not at your door. You are the (laughs) death exiting your door, approaching (laughs) his door. Yes. The song Flesh Prison has these dogs barking at the beginning that always reminds me of Been Caught Stealing by uh, Jane's Addiction. Are they the same Sick. dogs? Did you get those dogs?
1: I don't think so. I think uh, this producer no life threw those in. I don't know. I, I might have asked because I have been asking for a dog bark in a song for a really long time. So is that true? Yes, because I love love um like 50 Cent in DMX, like when they bark like it just makes me so happy like that 50 cent song where it's like um he just is like barking like every verse and then DMS obviously barks a lot and like i've just always wanted a song with dogs barking in it and some barking like when rick ross barks too
0: well yeah the back of panty christ definitely looks like like N- Nelly country grammar or something like, it's very much like a hip hop pose you got going on here with the, the hand on the the crotch and, and the. Cigarette. Oh, the
1: fucking, I used to love Nelly. Like I was a Nelly Stan. Big Nelly fan, country grammar. Hell yeah.
0: Murphy Lee, a St. Lunatic vegan though. I do yeah. know that. I can tell you that. Happy family. I believe is the first time we meet Kyler. Yes. Can you tell me about them?
1: Kyler is, so I have like various identities and uh, in the path to discovering who the fuck I am, like why I am the way I am. And after you go through trauma and you have dissociative disorder or dissociation disorder, you can have alters. So the various alters, like they can come out in different, Trigger situations, even, or like, you know, most of the time, like, performers have an alter ego when they go on stage or, you know, when they're doing their thing. And so, yeah, it's like, I guess I'd say, like, I refer to Dana Marie as like the real me, the actual person. And Dana Dentata is another alter that kind of became when I was like 18 and started playing shows in my band and I would like act so different and I didn't really understand it at the time like I think she I created her like her name means vagina with teeth I think I like created her as like an escape from the abuse I was going through and like no one's gonna rape that girl because she's gonna bite your dick off so like I was safe and I was like powerful and I Nobody could hurt me, like that's who I was in that persona. And then also like around like 21, 22 I lived many years where I was like an American apparel model and like doing like Playboy and like all this shit. And I think I refer to that person as just Dana because I feel like that person's like the MK Ultra, like dissociated like model person you know where I kind of like I changed my style even like I was always wearing leather and shit like my like all throughout my teenage years and stuff and then I just wanted like pink that's another one that's an interesting time in my life and then Kyler I think is like more like my inner child kind of like it's like I become this kind of little boy and I think that's the part of me that loves wrestling and monster trucks and dirt bikes and a lot of my masculine side is there and I think it's like more but it's like a 12 year old and I have yeah I, I look at all these different sides and I can like understand myself a lot better and what i need when i'm experiencing when i'm in the different altars like i'm playing with like i'm playing with it like dana dentata like i was saying like she's so angry and stuff you know like kind of like going in there and poking around and like changing things do i sound insane
0: (laughs) no no i just watched that uh Billy Millison documentary. You familiar with that guy? Um, he was in Ohio and he had 24 different personalities and he was tried oh, for a bunch of crimes, murders and rapes. And it was his female alter ego that was developed as a result of deep trauma. I mean, the, the documentary gets crazy. Like the least crazy part is this kid having <laughs> this disorder and killing people because then you find out the reason why he had this disorder was because when he was younger, this like stepdad would like bury him alive and piss on him and like do all these terrible, heinous crimes. So much like you were talking about, he had to remove himself from his body and like had to be like, OK, that's that wasn't me, because if I think that it was me, I'll kill everyone around me and myself. So exactly, he develops-
1: like I can't live with what I've experienced. So I need a different like reality.
0: It's not you going crazy. It's a legitimate coping mechanism almost to keep you from going crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Sometimes I think about if I didn't have Dana Dentata as an outlet for the shit that I've been through, like, I probably would have already been in jail as the next Eileen Mornos.
0: Do you still watch wrestling? You still a wrestling fan?
1: I've watched some of the newer stuff, but. I'm more into like, you know, the icons, like I don't, to me, sorry, Roman Reigns, but you're not an icon, like compared to like Stone Cold, Undertaker, just people who like, that's, that's why I think I'm so obsessed with it is because like, to me, they're like rock stars.
0: Manic Monday. Yes. Ends with the line, swim, swim with the fishes, whoop, whoop with the whippets. Now, when I went to the 2018 Insane Clown Posse Psychopathic Records Big Ball Christmas Party. Oh, fuck uh, yeah. I remember leaving the event and just a dozen people standing right outside the door doing Whippets. And I didn't know people still did Whippets, um, but they were whoop-whooping with the Whippets. And I know you just did the Hollow Wicked show. Yes. In Detroit. That had to be just an iconic moment for you. You're a big ICP fan growing up?
1: Definitely. In the last, like, six or seven years, I'd say, I got into their music pretty heavy. And, like, I I knew one juggalette stripper that was it but I would go I went to their concert alone in Toronto and then I just been really into their music and then I got to see them a bunch of times got to go to the gathering and stuff and I, I definitely have like referenced them in my music before and they're a big part of the face paint inspiration for me so yeah that was really sick i wanted to play the gathering so bad i was like begging to play the last like two years and then getting to open for them in detroit on halloween was definitely a fucking dream come true just another one of my like biggest inspirations that i get to talk to and get support from it's really cool yeah i'm really down with the clown you know so i'm glad that they embraced me and then you know I have a couple juggalo friends like after they were all telling me I got over which is like okay all the juggalos are like down with you they've accepted you like they fuck with you so that was really sick and then yeah I talked to someone about playing the next gathering after and felt really good but I always feel good when I'm around juggalos because it's like everybody's nice for the most part always bad apples but like It's just a great energy, and you just feel comfortable and, like, welcome.
0: The song Free, I believe you just recorded laying on a floor with an acoustic guitar or something like that. It's very, like, Mr. Microphone raw recording, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did that on GarageBand with my USB mic, and wanted to just keep it like that because the state of mind I was in and how I was feeling when I recorded it. I think you can hear the level of pain that I was in, and it just didn't feel right to replicate it.
0: Yeah, so you wanted to capture that unique performance that you didn't, well, you probably didn't want to put yourself in a place where you (laughs) could duplicate it, so you just uh, maintain that and it's not, like, mixed or anything?
1: No, like I mixed it to my best ability on GarageBand. Like I've been recording my demos and ideas and songs on GarageBand for like so many years that like it is like my diary. It's like the inside of my heart, so I wanted to keep it like that because that song to me is like the most vulnerable and exposed song.
0: For sure. It's also cool that you're playing, you get to play an instrument on the album, but was that something that you were excited about, getting to also be, you know, an instrumentalist on the album versus a voice and songwriter?
1: Yeah, I miss my guitar days. Like, I wrote all the songs in Dentata on guitar, and I haven't played guitar in a long time. I feel like I, when I play these sad songs on guitar, like, that's how I kind of, like, ever talked about my trauma when I was younger so it's very very raw for me and that's kind of like my outlet for it and it's painful it's painful I don't even know if I could play that song live but I definitely will cry because like to me that's it's like my like most innocent pure childhood like pain kind of comes out when I'm playing the guitar the acoustic guitar
0: it's certainly a hallmark moment on the album, you know, it sticks out in, in good ways. So I think that doing more things that are towards that, you know, it doesn't have to be a whole album like that, or it can be, you know, it can make two double album like that. But I think that it's a, it's a really cool inclusion that um, shows depth musically too, you know, cause there's a lot of, you know, like we said, you some like funny petty lines, like not being tall enough for a Hummer or um, even the album being called Panty Christ. But, you know, it it demonstrates that you're a real deal musician if you, want to show that side of it just you know singer songwriter acoustic guitar like you have those abilities too
1: yeah i like feel like i'm genre less so i wanted to kind of have every element of myself i definitely have some ideas for things similar to that in the future and i'm gonna do a music video for the song free are
0: you gonna cry when you make the music video you're gonna have to (laughs) sing the song
1: Well, it'll be a music video, so I could lip sync.
0: Well, you can capture that moment, too. That'll be that'll be money.
1: I, I could definitely cry. Even like Panty Christ and Apology, I was like trying not to cry in a lot of those scenes. Like this album's so fucking emotional and intense for me. It's been very intense. But yeah, I might cry in the free video. <laughs> Probably will. Cause why not? You know, I spent a lot of years never making sure I never cried in front of anyone ever and holding it in. And like, you're just not supposed to do that. It's not good for you. So now like, I don't care if someone says I'm a crybaby or something because uh, it's called verbal ventilation. That's what I learned. Like it's a physical thing. If you want to not feel like a pussy about it, like when you feel so much pain inside, you have to verbally ventilate it out physically exercise it out of you and that's what crying is so i think you should cry as much as you want
0: woodstock 99 retitled d stock 99 i assume because of that abysmal documentary on home box office max
1: yeah which is stupid because like i'm sure they wouldn't have cared and if anything i'm talking about your documentary so like what's the problem with that
0: did you see the documentary
1: yeah, I watched it as soon as I could. I've been obsessed with Woodstock 99 for so long.
0: Did you watch it on pay-per-view when it first came out?
1: No, I. that was like a little before my time, I'd say, of like having access to that. But since I can remember, I've been watching it on YouTube, like full performances on YouTube.
0: So when that documentary came out, I was like, wow, this is going to be so sick. I can't wait to see what Fred Durst has to say about Woodstock 99, clearly the star of that entire uh, incident for good and for bad. And so I'm looking at the description and I don't see him listed, but who I do see listed is going to speak is Moby. I'm like, oh no, they're going to let Moby talk. This can't be good. And then what Moby does is he makes sure to prove me right by just saying a bunch of the dumbest things I've ever heard. He's very upset that his name wasn't on the piece of wood when you walk in.
1: Yeah. We didn't need his voice in there, but I liked the documentary because I think it helps explain why I'm so drawn to it in this perplexed way because like in so many ways I'm obsessed with it and in so many ways it's like all the things that have destroyed me my whole life you know and everything I'm fighting against yet I fucking love all those performances yeah I just like want to be that I want to feel that masculinity
0: Definitely super uh, important moment in history. And this song is, you know, the perfect way to end off the album. It's one of the higher energy tracks. We get a shout out to Joe C, who everybody knows is...
1: Three foot nine with a ten foot dick. (laughs) With a ten foot dick.
0: (laughs) On Devil Without a Cause. Um, Lil' Aaron helped uh, write this song? Yes. And did you get to work with him in person?
1: Yes. He's great. I that song like i feel like that song is just so kind of like kyler dana marie like it's it's a mix of that and i wanted the album yeah to be it's like ironic that i've expressed all this rage against men and then you know i'm like kind of LARPing as like an aggressive masculine man and the most like I wanted the most freedom the most power the most fun and then like that chorus came out and then like I just didn't know what else to say I just like wanted the chorus i was so stuck on it and so Lil Aaron came in and like I don't know it had me tripping out a bit because somebody was like oh if you're gonna make a song about kid rock then like you have to also say that, like, you're not a racist. And I'm like, that is literally the last thing that this is about. I'm talking about, like, his Woodstock performance and, like, masculinity. And, like, it's it's so, like, clickbait, like, Twitter commenting, like, dumbness of it, right? Like, no, the fuck I don't. Like, I don't have to make it about something it's not and it's about like little thing fuck everybody like not giving a fuck freedom and but I did want to like kind of pull it back in and like acknowledge it in some way like kind of like the meaning of it and so you know I'm saying like everything's burning up in flames um all I see is violence and crime something's never changed every day is like Woodstock 99 and like It's like, yes, despite the fact that we are living amongst all these toxic things and all these horrible things and fires and rape and death and all these things, like there's still fire that can emerge. I don't want to say from that, but like it can exist amongst it still. And it doesn't have to have any, I don't have any of that toxic in me i'm taking like the pure elements of it
0: yeah no i uh i definitely never for one second thought that when you said i'm on my kid rock shit that you meant like conservative politics <laughs> i'm pretty sure that we all <laughs> knew what you were talking about but yeah the rest of the song certainly fleshes it out but um it it's a it's a perfect end cap to you know an album that starts with panty christ which like i said definitely feels like a triumphant kind of song but it's a lot darker, whereas um Woodstock 99 is like fun sounding like it sounds like you're you're dancing in the flames you know you're Kali on the with the six arms blue dancing on skulls of the the fallen you know it's um it's kind of the the end credit scene it's very cool
1: I fucking love that song um I was going to make a video for it but honestly like Straight up, I think just culture and society right now doesn't have the attention span or depth to look at what art means. And everything is so instant and surface that, like, I didn't want to put out a video for that because I just, yeah, I don't think people have the ability right now with everything going on to have that perspective so (laughs) i'm gonna do a video for free instead because (laughs) it's just i just think this is the way the world is right now like it's it's disheartening as an artist because i think like that song has so much meaning and it's profound and thought-provoking and has positive intention to it but i just also don't think people have the ability as a whole right now to like look at deeper than like seeing the word kid rock or something, you know, it's really sad. It's really like weird time as an artist who wants to like speak out about things.
0: I know Panty Christ as a whole, you're very proud of, but is there anything that you think looking back on, you would have done differently?
1: I think I wouldn't have had it mastered. I think the whole thing should have been raw. And I think when I was creating my album rollout, where, like, you know, the album was my birth and it was my pregnancy and all of those things, I wish that I had everyone sign an NDA that helped me with that. I would have definitely done that. <laughs> Maybe would have got myself a little bit more mental health help. Like, I think at one point I probably should have checked into a facility, but.
0: Well, what is your favorite thing about making that album? I know it's probably just the fact that it exists, the catharsis that you've told me about this whole time about uh, getting that out. But is there a, a single moment of making a certain song or anything like that that really sticks out as like a, an aha moment or anything like that for
1: you? I think apology was really a breakthrough moment for me. And just making this whole album before I started this album, I think I did not know who I was and I didn't understand myself and going in that deep and making this whole record and pulling all this shit out and going through all this and doing so much healing. I, I my life is completely different now. Like I know exactly who the fuck I am and why I am the way I am. And I, I get it. And Even, like, I've always had, like, not great people around me. And now I'm able to recognize that and keep my circle very tight and make sure it's good people that give a shit about me and want the best for me. And, like, I didn't even know what that meant before. So, like, my whole life is different now. I'm in a much safer, healthy, better place. Thanks to making this album.
0: Thanks so much to Dana Dentata for letting us in on how these songs were made and her life that led to it. Hopefully it connects you deeper to this Pantichrist album or got you interested in it, so we can all go to our shows and chant for the death of our enemies together. And what should you wear to that show? Obviously, the official Meet Meep Pod shirt available at meatmeep.bigcartel.com. Follow the show on Instagram at Pod and leave a five-star review anywhere you can unless you want to lose by five stars to me and Mario Party because I'll show no mercy on Peach's birthday cake. But while you're doing that, I'm Ryan Rainbro. This is Meat Meep. And yes, that's the best that I could come up with. Bye.